Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here today. Uh, My name is Wayne Pinkstone. I'm an attorney in Ogletree Deacon's Philadelphia office, and I'm here today with with David Walston, attorney in our Birmingham office, and we are both lawyers in Ogletree's workplace safety practice group. And we're here today to discuss uh, and uh, give a modified presentation, if you will, um, a talk we gave at Ogletree Deacon's Workplace Strategies Symposium. Uh, And the title of our program is OSHA Enforcement Post-COVID-19. What exactly does it look like? So, uh, David, if you want to just briefly introduce yourself. Thank you, Wayne. Uh, As he said, this is David Walston, Ogletree Deacons in Birmingham, Alabama. As Wayne said, he and I had the pleasure of speaking at a conference in San Diego, had a good time, and hopefully we'll be able to give you some of the insights we shared. Thanks, David. So, um, as I said, uh, the the program focused on OSHA, OSHA post-COVID-19, post-pandemic, what we expect it to look like, what OSHA enforcement priorities will look like. And, and the purpose of this is really to, to hopefully give you some insight onto what you can expect from OSHA moving forward and, and also where we think OSHA is going in terms of new priorities, new, new OSHA potential standards that may be coming down and that you need to be aware of. So just briefly, um, I'm sure you all recall if you read the headlines, certainly during the COVID-19 pandemic, OSHA again a a federal agency Um, osha was given the task of of dealing with uh, workplace issues that's their that's their 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 aim enforcement of safety protocols in the workplace but during the COVID 19 pandemic that agency was essentially consumed with dealing with COVID 19 in the workplace itself but in addition to that you may recall the long gone ETS or ETS enforcement uh, uh, priorities that OSHA had had issued, which are no longer. Um, but OSHA was spl- really splashed all over the headlines, given their role in developing the ETS and then dealing with COVID-19 in the workplace in general. It was, you, you may recall, pretty chaotic at the beginning of the pandemic in March, April, May of 2020. And, and, and like everyone else, OSHA was trying to get its arms around, okay, what does this mean? What's the impact on the workplace? And then throughout 2020 and even 20, into 2021, OSHA was really focused on, on dealing with the pandemic. Well, we're now emerging, thankfully, out of the pandemic. And OSHA, like everyone else, is attempting to get back to normal. So what they're doing is is they are focusing on or refocusing on really what they were doing pre-pandemic, right? So they're 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 getting back into their their general on-site enforcement processes and procedures. 
whereas in the pandemic, they were conducting it all almost all remotely. They are now back on site and they are focusing on things such as fall protection, fall protection in, in construction, hazard communication, uh, lockout, tagout, ladders, powered industrial trucks, uh, machine guarding, PPE. These are the standards and these are the topics that OSHA was really focusing on traditionally, took a back seat during the pandemic. So we are seeing now more uh, in, in 2022 and 2023, OSHA getting back to normal. In addition to that, OSHA has, has, has received an increased budget, has received additional resources through the Biden administration which they have earmarked towards enforcement. So what does that mean? We are now seeing OSHA adding inspectors, compliance officers. In fact, it's up by 19% in 2021 and 2022, and they continue to add inspectors, which means we're seeing increased enforcement. We're seeing increased on-site inspections. So just briefly, in terms of the pandemic itself, inspections themselves, dip drastically across all regions. So there's 10 OSHA regions across all regions in 2020 inspections really dip drastically again because of the pandemic. We are now seeing an uptick in 2022 and certainly in 2023. In addition, and I guess in, in, in corresponding to that, we're seeing an uptick in citations, the issuance of citations in, in 2023. And then as a result, we're also seeing a, a pretty drastic increase in the level of penalties, okay? Associated with, cite, with the citations are also penalty amounts. Now those penalties kicked up in January of every year. So they've kicked up in January, 2023, which adds to the level of uh, the average penalty that's issued. But in addition to that, I think we're seeing increased penalty amounts because we're seeing increased enforcement and then also increased citations. Um, one, one thing we're also going to see is, you know, a lot of states have their own OSHA plans, and the plans are, of course, approved by federal OSHA, I'll call it, uh, And but the plans enforce the safety programs themselves, and they have their own citations, their own penalties. There's a lot of pressure coming from federal OSHA onto the state plans to increase their penalties. A lot of them have been underneath or uh, under what OSHA typically puts out itself, uh, it poses in its citations, and there is a ongoing effort by federal OSHA to uh, pressure states into increasing their penalty to the same level as federal OSHA. Yeah, I think that I think that's exact. I think that's exactly right. So just be mindful. I think that's a great point, David. In addition to the Fed OSHA, and that's what I was focusing on. There are 22 state plans out there, 22 state OSHAs who are also feeling the same, I think, pressure, if you will, to 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 increase their penalties. So, hey, Dave, I was just wondering, maybe you could talk a little bit about um, some, some specific increased enforcement priorities for Fed OSHA. Um, I'm sure everyone would like to hear about that. Okay. Yeah, one of the things that OSHA is traditionally known for, of course, is coming out to the workplace uh, and uh, conducting investigations and inspections of facilities to make sure uh, everybody's doing their best to operate safely as they can. Uh, the 19% increase in inspectors that OSHA added in 1922 uh, means they're really going to get out there 
and get back into the field when they were uh, prevented to do so by COVID. Uh, the priorities that OSHA has for their inspections is, is stayed the same. Imminent danger, where if it's observed or someone reports that there is just a condition that is so dangerous that someone's going to get hurt quickly if OSHA doesn't act. Uh, the next level is fatality, serious injury. A serious injury is when someone is injured and has to go to the hospital and is admitted to the hospital for treatment. Uh, the next comes from your traditional complaints. An employee calls OSHA and says there's an unsafe practice, or a union calls and says we believe the company has an unsafe safety uh, policy. Also, the government agencies, as y'all may have read, are working together now across borders, and OSHA will get referrals from other federal agencies who might be on a work site and observe something, uh, and they can call OSHA. Uh, the other uh, priority, which is down the line some, is called a programmed or targeted industry inspections. A program inspection is where, based upon the nature of the industry or particular uh, manufacturing process, uh, OSHA has focused on it, has targeted that industry or that hazard in a uh, structured program where employers are placed in a pool and the employers are randomly selected for inspections out of this program that OSHA has established. Uh, there are many, many kinds of programs, and we'll discuss a couple of those later on. But one thing we are seeing uh, recently that uh, I think possibly came out of the COVID, but OSHA has, uh, has been perfecting it and in, indeed will keep using it in 2023 is called the Rapid Response Investigation. When OSHA receives a complaint or a report from an employer that an injury has occurred, rather than send an investigator out to the site, OSHA will send a letter to the employer giving the employer five days to conduct its own internal investigation and to report its findings to OSHA. Uh, there are specific questions uh, and information the employer has to provide. Once OSHA receives this information, it then decides if it's going to come out and conduct its own investigation or if it's going to close the file. Uh, we've seen a lot of these uh, being used recently uh, to the benefit of OSHA and to the benefit of employers. Uh, and we expect we'll be seeing those down the road and into 2024 as well. So what, in, in, David, in terms of, um, you know, so we have the, the site, uh, site specific or on-site inspections and then the priorities that you had mentioned and, and then the rapid response. And then what about programmed inspections? Does, does, OSHA, does OSHA have a, a, a programmed inspection process as well? Yes, that, uh, that was one of the lower inspection categories we discussed. But even though it's low, last year, or excuse me, in 2021, 43% of OSHA inspections were programmed inspections as opposed to response to reports or complaints of injury. So OSHA regularly taps into these programs, and I imagine they will continue to do so as their resources improve. Uh, I think that 43% may have been low because it didn't have the resources to go out and do the program because it was handling uh, the traditional uh, reports and accidents and complaints that they deal with. But you know, the programmed inspections, there's, there are many types of programs. And the primary one that we always hear about 
at least uh, from our side, is the national emphasis programs. There are 15, and again, these target specific industries or hazards such as combustible dust, isocyanates, lead, trenching, excavation. Those are some of the more uh, prevalent ones that uh, you may hear about. But there are two that have really been focused uh, on lately, and that is heat and fall protection. Uh, and why I think you were going to uh, share your experience with the heat uh, emphasis program that OSHA has put in last year? Yeah, that's right, David. So, so uh, last year, actually, there's a, a heat um, initiative memo that was issued September 1, 2021, that, that uh, prioritized inspections of, of heat-related complaints and re- referrals where OSHA would come on site and conduct on-site investigations of potential heat exposure or injuries and illnesses caused by heat exposure. And, and what we're seeing now, and, and then there was a, a national emphasis program that was initiated back in, in, in April, I believe, uh, of, of, of 2022. Again, focusing on outdoor and, and indoor heat-related hazards. So this is a, a really uh, hot area, hot topic, uh, no pun intended, for OSHA. And we expect that in, in the not-too-distant future to see, to see a, a heat hazard standard issued by OSHA. Okay, What has been happening now and, and, and in, the, in, the, in the past with, re- with respect to heat inspections is OSHA has been issuing what they call 5A1 or, or general duty clause violations, which is essentially a catch-all, right? When a specific OSHA standard uh, doesn't exist for a hazard, OSHA will rely on its catch-all or 5A1 in, in bringing a citation. And what OSHA has been doing is they have been relying upon that standard to issue heat-related heat-related citations um, to to specific employers and specific industries where they believe that there were heat-related hazards, and and as a result, there there have been excitations that again and penalties that have been issued because of of heat-related hazards in in the workplace. Now, what do we expect? Now, there is no heat standard yet. Um, but this is what we anticipate, okay? We, we anticipate a, a standard that applies to both outdoor and indoor work environments. It's gonna be outdoor work in warm weather. We actually think that the trigger uh, is gonna be an 80 degree heat index. OSHA, um, I think that is gonna see that 80 degree heat index as, as a trigger to conduct inspections and into potential heat hazards. So, Wayne, I, I read somewhere that OSHA also uh, is going to use the trigger whenever there is a weather advisory uh, yeah. issue by local or the uh, National Weather Service. Uh, whenever there's a heat advisory, that's going to trigger their protocols as well. That's right. So that that's also uh, what we expect is is that believe it or not, you know, as you you, you may see, you watch your 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 morning news and your morning weather, and and you see those heat alerts that are issued by the National Weather Service in the morning, that that is, is going to likely be included in the standard as a trigger for
for OSHA to institute or implement a process where it will conduct heat-related inspections on that day. So, so this is, you know, it's a really interesting area, and it obviously affects many, many industries, particularly in, in, in areas of the South and the West, where the, the hot weather is, is like David, as you know, down in Alabama, is, is prolonged. So, yeah, I think it's going to have a major impact uh, uh, moving forward. Wayne, it's 85 degrees in Birmingham right now. Oh, there you go. So it, on a day like this, it would, it, the, the threshold would have been triggered. So, That's right. Yeah, we're getting close in Philly, but not yet. So just uh, quickly on, uh, just, just on the heat issue, we, we do think that what OSHA has been doing is, along with the 5A1s, there have also been instances where OSHA has, has been issuing what they call a hazard alert letter. Again, where there are instances where they cannot prove a heat violation under 5A1, they will at a minimum issue these HAL letters, hazard alert letters, which essentially outlines what OSHA is, is re the recommendations from OSHA on, look, this is what we think you should be doing moving forward. And I gotta tell you, maybe David, you can, you've had some experience with this. Talk about what would a HAL or hazard alert letter look for with respect to a potential heat issue? Well, the, the HAL is, really has three aspects to it. They, they want to focus on what they call training, engineering controls, administrative controls, and protective, personal protective equipment, PPE. Uh, and then these alert letters, they have nice little uh, categories of what they hope to see in, in these. And one is, primary one is to train people how to recognize heat issues how to recognize heat conditions uh, so you can prevent them from getting worse when you're starting to experience certain symptoms. They also want uh, supervisors trained and, and other folks have trained on how to respond when someone is having heat symptoms, uh, what to do and how to get them medical care quickly. The engineering controls are really just you know controlling the uh, work environment, the temperature of the work environment. They want to see that you've got good ventilation. They want to see that you've got climate controlled areas. Uh, if you're working outside, they want to see that you know shade has been made available for employees and things of that nature. For the PPE, it, it's rather interesting. They uh, one of the one of the signs that OSHA looks for is heavy clothing. Uh, for when they're going to start, you know, looking to do a heat investigation, but yet a lot of this heavy clothing is required by industry uh, as safety themselves. So OSHA is going to move beyond your traditional PPE, and they want uh, dermal patches, uh, heat monitors, heart rate monitors on specific employees, on the employees who are exposed to the heat environment. And the one to me, Wayne, I, I just kind of want your thoughts on this. They want safety personnel for employers to do health and well-being checks during the course of a shift. Yeah. So they want them to go monitor vital signs, uh, complete you know, hydration questionnaires, and things of that nature. From my perspective, one, are, are, are these safety personnel comfortable, you know, conducting such a check are, are they are they potentially qualified to do so uh no, no, number one and then number two you know these these are questions that you know we have other statutes out there we have other laws the ada emergency disabilities act other state law equivalents who 
you know, that have, have, have strict requirements or prohibitions, if you will, um, uh, regarding, you know, what you can and cannot uh, uh, get into in terms of an employee's health. You know, are there potential issues with those statutes? So, you know, I, I think it's this is going to be really interesting moving forward to see what this heat standard contains, what OSHA is going to expect from employers moving forward and, and potentially how intrusive it could be. Yeah, it, it, it'll it'll be real interesting. Now, you know, and, and another now we're on the topic of national emphasis programs. I know, I know, David, there's there's one that recently came down really recently. I think it's this month that um, I, I think you spoke about. And, and why don't you talk about that now? And that's that's uh, false. OK, thank you, Wayne. Um, you know, OSHA's concerns about uh, fall hazards is certainly understandable. Uh, falls are the leading cause of fatalities in the workplace. Fall protection has been one of the uh, leading citations issued in the last 12 years. And in fact, for the last 12 years, fall protection construction has led the nation as the most cited uh, standard for violations. OSHA has decided to take it a step further uh, and develop a national program over, they, they actually have fall standards, but they have now chosen to put together a program that's going to allow them uh, better access into workplaces to check for fall hazards. And what they've done is, of course, construction has always been the primary focus for fall hazards. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast. But what OSHA plans to do under this new program is if they're on site of a construction project for a particular fall incident, they are going to conduct an inspection for of the entire work site for fall hazards. Uh, that's a expansion of what they normally would do under a on-site inspection for just a particular injury. Outside the construction industry, they are going to be focusing on businesses where uh, employees will be working from heights, such as we're working on rooftop mechanical equipment, utility line workers, tree trimmers, people working on road signs and billboards, communication towers. It's going to reach into not only the commercial, but also residential uh, areas of power washing, window cleaning, cleanly, uh, chimney cleaning, and even holiday light installation. Uh, these are specifics that are on the standard, so uh, it's not uh, not something I'm just pulling out of the hat. The other thing that they are doing is the National Emphasis Program says that when a inspector is on site, whether it be for a specific injury or accident or whether it's under one of the other programs that they have inspections, that they are to look around and observe fall hazards. So they're not only there for the particular, you know, injury or hazard that prompted them to come, they are now looking around your work site for fall hazards. Now, they probably are going to justify this under the direct observation uh, policy that they have. They're on site and they, in an open and obvious manner, see another hazard. They're allowed to expand their investigation into that hazard. That's one thing they're going to do with the heat is when they go on site uh, and it's 105 degree heat index, all of a sudden you have a heat investigation as well. 
the same thing's going to be true for falls. If they get out there and they see somebody who is working without proper protective equipment, uh, they're going to expand their investigation into a fall hazard investigation. So that's one thing they plan to do. The other thing is they're actually putting in what I call a traditional targeting program where they create a pool of employers. And this is done by local area offices. It's not a national program. They have the option locally of say Birmingham area office wants to do this. They will send someone drive around, make a list of all the construction sites in Birmingham, throw them in a pool. And when they choose to implement this targeting protocol, they'll randomly select a few employers and send the investigators out for fall hazard inspections. So it's a little bit of the direct observation uh, aspect, as well as you may just be randomly selected out of a pool of employers if you're identified uh, in that local area. So what we really are seeing is OSHA is giving itself a way to get on site and conduct fall inspections, even if no one's reported of problem with it or if no one's been injured by it, uh, that doesn't mean OSHA is foreclosed from conducting and expanding an investigation if it chooses to. Okay. Thanks, David. Hey, yeah. You know, yeah, one thing I, I, I also wanted to touch on, I mean, we have heat, we, we, we have falls, which are, are certainly priorities. Another issue, another, another hot issue for OSHA, I believe, is workplace violence, and and again, it's it's an issue where there is no specific uh, OSHA standard governing workplace violence, but it it is a priority and has been a priority, particularly in industries such as healthcare and retail. And like heat, what OSHA has been doing is is if there is if they've uh, conducted an inspection, they've determined that there is a hazard and a violation. They've been using the general duty clause again, uh, that, that catch-all in issuing citations and or issuing the hazard alert letters. I've been involved in several recently focusing specifically in the healthcare industry, uh, even, even more specifically in behavioral health in that context where the allegation or the, the, you know, emanating from a complaint that in these instances, uh, nurses or, or doctors are being subjected to workplace violence from, from patients. And, and as a result, uh, OSHA comes in, conducts an inspection, and wants to know what safety precautions do you have and protocols do you have in place to protect your employees from potential workplace violence? So I think it's a, it's, it's a hot issue, and it's also... I think you will see, because there's already discussions of it, um, I think you will likely see a workplace violence standard focused specifically on healthcare in the not too distant future. So I, I, I would be, be aware of that. Anything else, David? Well, Wayne, I was wondering what, uh, what the workplace violence uh, standards would, would ask an employer to do. Is it going to be, uh, are they going to have to restructure or are they going to have to renovate their facilities or are they going to increase security? What, what, do, you, what do you hear about things like that? Yeah, so I, I think what, what you're likely to see is I think a standard that's, that's going to require 
a, a workplace violence policy or program, a written program in place. You know, I'm focusing on healthcare because I think that's what the standard's going to focus on healthcare. So I think you're going to see a standard requiring a written program be put in place by employers. And then that, that program is going to contain, uh, I think, elements to it, including a training component. Would not be surprised if it's certainly a, a training component for onboarding of employees, new employees, and then potential an annual training requirement into workplace violence policies and procedures. I expect it to, to contain requirements on appropriate documentation of workplace violence uh, incidents and near misses. And then I also expect it to contain elements regarding and you know engineering and, and or administrative controls in the workplace um, protecting employees, whether that's you know emergency call systems, uh, for, you know uh, buddy systems, things of that nature that that um, healthcare uh, facilities uh, may be required to put in place to protect their their workers. So what do you, um, hey David, real quick, I, I know we're, we're up against up against it here, but uh, do you want to talk briefly about infectious disease and what you might you might see there? Well, yeah, just just a quick couple of notes. Uh, again, limited to the healthcare industry, uh, that was the one ETS that survived uh, all the court challenges uh, for COVID, and it's recently expired. That emergency temporary standards expired, but OSHA's working on a new one. It's called infectious disease, and guess what? COVID's an infectious disease, as are measles and shingles and chickenpox and tuberculosis and pandemic influenza. So we expect soon to see a new standard for the healthcare industry, which will have a lot of the uh, same attributes as the emergency temporary standard had. But I don't think that's quite as imminent as the workplace violence, but it's certainly on uh, OSHA's agenda for the coming, coming future. All right. Well, thanks for that. Well, I think we're, we're, we're at the end here and we want to thank everyone for, for being with us today. Both David and I hope that uh, you, you found this information helpful. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.